episode three of Welcome to the Magnifier. I'm here with Dark Odin. How's it going, everybody? And we're going to be talking about Endor today. This is pretty much a spy kind of thriller show for uh, Star Wars, and it's starring Cassian Jorah Endor. His middle name doesn't really pop up anywhere else in it, but I figured I would put that in there in case people wanted to know. And the guy who is playing him is Diego Luna. He also like plays in the uh, Rogue One, and he winds up dying in that one, so I mean, there's a joke that he tells when he, uh, he gets the part to do this again, and he says, well, at least I know that they can't kill my character off until Rogue One. <laughs> <laughs> to start this one off, it's episode one. They're going back to before he's a rebel. So he's, right now, he's just kind of like a, uh, a criminal, but not like the bad type of criminal. He's a criminal that's stealing stuff from the Empire and pretty much fighting the Empire on his own. He's he not like associated a, with anyone. Is he sort of like a Robin Hood character where he's like stealing from the Empire but trying to help out the little people? Yeah, kind of. Because where he is right now, he's in like a free trade sector where mm -hmm. no one really, there's no like real authority there. We get into that, I believe, towards the end of this episode. Oh, I was going to ask you before we uh, jump into it, where is this? Because I know this is canon. So where does this fall? Does this fall like before the movies or? Yes, this is BBY5, which to explain that it's before the Battle of Yavin, pretty much. Uh, Five years before that. So whenever you see that in, I know some people might get a little confused when they see that and they're like, what the heck is BBY? That's what that is. That so, makes sense then. Yeah, this is like uh So they're doing like some prequel stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is before the Death Star, the first one gets blown up. A good little ways before that, before Luke and all of them meet and all. So, and this is on planet Melora 1. I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. I'm probably not pronouncing some of these right. But from, from what I can tell, it's Melora. Is it like a Y? And it is... <laughs> Proxy Melora Corporate Zone, which corporate zone, it's pretty much these corp like uh, corporate authority. They're kind of like security guards. They got ships and everything, and they actually look kind of like the Empire. Their uniforms don't look like the Empire. And the Legends, which is not affiliated with all of this now, this is old stuff. The corporate sector people were pretty much their own authority, kind of like the Empire. They would tussle with the Empire if the Empire moved on their territory. I don't think that ever happened. They were their own separate thing. And here, I think what they're doing is now the uh, the corporate zone is, it's a separate thing, but the Empire is kind of like overwatching them because at one point in episode one, the chief has to go in front of a review board with the Imperials. So obviously they're being held accountable by the Empire. They're not their own entity. But sort of like back, to, back to the beginning of this episode, we're on the Laura one and he is going to a brothel pretty much he's he you see him walking down the streets and all and he makes his way to a brothel and in the brothel he meets up with this hostess because he hears a rumor that his sister has been seen there and he's trying to he's asking her about it and these two cops are kind of kind of jabbing at him from across the bar and so he just doesn't pay him any attention after a while talks to her finds out that you know she's not there or she can't really tell him because no one gives their name so they wind up leaving and that's when these two cops decide they're gonna start 
start trouble and it winds up leading to them getting shot and now this is where Cassian's whole conflict of the story starts. This is where he gets into trouble because he winds up killing the younger cop and then has to kill the older cop and you can kind of see him he seems like he's trying to fight what to do what to do because he killed the kid and then he's got to do something he can't let the other one go and then he finally comes to the conclusion well I got to do it and he shoots him and then he's got to move on <laughs> and then he's trying to figure out how he's going to get out of there and stuff so then he leaves and takes his ship back to where he actually lives which is it's nice that they're actually weaving in some of the Legends lore too, like they're not just completely disregarding the books, they are picking stuff out of it to use. Yeah, it's like they're yeah. they're using the old Legends stories and they're kind of weaving them into it. They change them a little bit, but for the most part, it's pretty much the same. Ferrix, which is, it's Marlone, it almost looks the same. It's probably the same system that the other planet is in. I haven't really checked that because all of these are new. These were planets that were just created for the show and everything. The Molos system, which is the free trade zone, we get our first look at the new droid, which is a funny, funny scene. He, the new droid is just, he's just rolling through town and the town looks pretty run down and all and these warthogs come running through the town and it's almost like R2-D2, but it's R2-D2 with four wheels on the bottom. Oh. So it's pretty much a stable little barrel just rolling along. But then he can like, almost like hunker down. He's, it's like he's got segmented armor and he can squish himself down and close up all the gaps. And these two pigs went running by and then as he was about to open up, another one comes comes running next to him, sniffs him, and then pees on him. <laughs> and then he pulls an R2-D2 and takes out his little electro prod and zaps the pig. <laughs> and the pig goes running away. <laughs> that leads to him uh, setting off a flashback to where they go to Casa, which is pretty much Cassian. It's when he's younger and he's on his planet that he was born on, pretty much. I'm pretty sure that's where he was born, because he's with a whole bunch of other kids. He's with his sister, which is Kira, and they're in a little village, pretty much looks like a makeshift village. There are no adults. This is one of the big mysteries of these episodes, is he's living by himself on this planet, no adults. The oldest one might be approaching 20, but they're pretty much all kids, and they're in the jungle, and a ship comes by, and it crashes, and they're just looking out at it and the flashback ends but that pretty much sets off you know where he lives and everything and throughout this these whole episodes you constantly get that he keeps flashing back so to when he, he was younger does he have the flashback because it sounded like, like the robot well, no, was setting off the flashback yeah it's different things like in the story that'll set off the flashback sometimes it's it's b2 i didn't i don't think i said the name the name of the robot is b2emo and sometimes he sets it off sometimes cassian sets it off sometimes Sometimes it's his mother. Okay, so it's like Where little thing is set off flashbacks, but they're all to Cassian's past. Yeah, they're all to his past and his sister. Pretty much giving you that storyline of how he got to where he is. Okay, and then we go back to Ferrix. Andor meets up with the next big character, Brazo. One of his, uh, I'm not sure exactly what he is. He seems like a friend, but he also kind of seems like he could be, uh, the new father figure. Because so like he's, a mentor kind of thing? Yeah, because he's older than him, and it sounds like they do kind of, like, go out drinking and stuff. Because he goes to him, and he, he makes his alibi talking to him. He, like, goes up to him, and he's just like, hey, Brazo. And he comes over, and he's like, you know, we went to the bar, we had these drinks. I'm not, I I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but it was just something like, we went to the bar last night and we had a couple of drinks 
you didn't like what it was, and we, we went here, and da 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 you know, making up his alibi. Oh, yeah. And Brazo was like, what did you get into? And he couldn't tell him, and so then uh, Andor's with his eyes and stuff and all, he's kind of like, I need this. And then Brazos finally, like, gives in, and he's he makes up his own little part of the alibi. He's like, we went home, and we, we remembered that we had a bottle of this. And he's like, and you insulted my choice of beverage. And he fell down or something like that. And he's like, and I helped you up. And then we went home or something like that, you know, making the excuse for the cut on his face. Because I guess Andor didn't realize he had that. <laughs> he leaves, and that's the end of the scene. And Andor's just like, oops, see you later. And the guy's like, get your mother to turn on the heat because it was cold there last night. And that's the thing that makes me wonder, is he a friend or is he a friend of the mother? But the mother is a lot older, but, you know, you, you don't know. Yeah, you do never know. know the relationships. Yeah, this, is, this is Star Wars. There's alien and human relationships and all kinds of stuff. It's true to life. Yeah, I can see uh, that because Star Wars is, leans heavy into the mentor relationship with a lot of this stuff, especially with, like, Jedis and Padawans. Oh, yeah. All right, and then we go back to Malona 1 at Corporate Security Headquarters. This is where my favorite scene comes in. This is one of the ones I want to remember. And we get two, well, one new main character and the other guy, I don't know if they gave his name, but I couldn't find him in cast list. We're they at the headquarters. They might not reveal who he is yet. He might be one of those mysterious characters. They're going to be like a surprise reveal. Maybe. Because his role isn't very big right now. He kind of like, he's the chief. But he pops in and he gives this dude orders and lays it all out for him. And then he leaves and he's gone for the next... I don't, he doesn't come back in these three episodes. He goes off to uh, the Imperial Review Board. But the new character that we see is, I'm saying this right, Cyril Karn. And he is, he almost seems like a newbie kind of officer. But I think what it is, is he's a desk officer. He pretty much stays, you know, out of the fight and everything. Because he's real confident when he's around his intelligence officers and stuff. And he's like yelling at them and telling them what to do. And, you know, trying to get them to do stuff. They don't listen to him very well. <laughs> But he seems way more confident than way later on when he has to actually get into the fight. But the, get to the favorite part of my scene. He's telling the chief what happened and all, and the chief is sitting there listening. And then finally, when he's done, he's like, I know where the place is. I know where it is. And then he goes to say that this just seems like two cops went to the bar. They got into a tussle with someone they shouldn't have been with in an alley where they shouldn't have been. And they were drinking some kind of alcohol that they're not supposed to be drinking at all and they're uh at a bar that they shouldn't have had enough money to go to to begin with and it just keeps stacking up against the cops like the cops are doing so many things they shouldn't be doing yeah. and then the chief says the case has the hallmarks of a regrettable misadventure i'm <laughs> just like oh that's too good <laughs> so he's trying to just sweep it under the rug basically yeah he he's just like we need to just sweep it under the rug especially since he tells him pretty much to sweep it under the rug we don't need this right now and then the new officer he kind of gets like fidgety and he's looking around you can see his jaw clenching like he don't like it and the yeah. chief just gets exasperated and he's just like because <sighs> he's packing up like his briefcase and all and he just lets out a sigh and it's just like is there something wrong are you not getting my meaning and then he finally goes i have to go in front of a review board with the imperials and we can't have this 
So, you know, make up some elaborate little thing, like they went to go rescue some kids or something and were shot in the line of duty. Nothing too heroic. He's like, just something simple. Like, because we don't need a parade. Something that doesn't need to be verified, but isn't shameful, basically. Yeah. (laughs) So then, from there, back to Ferrix, Andor goes and meets with a mechanic, pretty much. I'm not sure exactly what the shop is. The shop just kind of seems almost like Mos Eisley kind of deal. Because, I mean, this whole planet, Ferrix, this free trade kind of planet part, at least the whole city that they're in, I'm not sure how the whole planet is, Mm -hmm. but this part of it is there's destroyed massive starships all over. And, like, that's what they're doing. Their entire little economy seems to be people like Brazo, which is where he meets Brazo. He's out working when he meets him at the first time. They're out on these starships salvaging whatever they can. They're pulling out huge reels of wiring and mechanical parts and other stuff to then bring to these shops. Kind of like Watto's shop on uh, Tatooine. And they're cleaning them up, rebuilding, reworking them, and selling them. And that's what she is. She is pretty much like his contact to uh, this guy. He doesn't really know who it is. It's her contact. And he's trying to convince her because he's got this new thing. He won't tell her what it is. You don't, I don't think they tell you in this episode, but he needs to get rid of it because the Imperials are going to be after him when they find out that it's gone. And the corporates are already after him because he killed two cops. And so now he's trying to convince her and she finally relents into calling her guy. But when he goes to leave, you meet another one of the big characters. He's not real big, but he is important in the first two. He is the boyfriend of the mechanic girl, Dix. Which I hope I'm saying that right. It's B-I-X, Callian, C-A-L-E-E-N. And her boyfriend is Tim, Tim Carlo. And Gotta so love Star Wars names. Yeah, yeah, definitely Star Wars names. When Endor is leaving, he walks past Tim Carlo, and Tim Carlo's like, she always seems to be upset whenever you uh y'all meet, and he seems a little jealous. And Endor just brushes it off and is like, well, maybe you should get a less complicated woman, <laughs> and leaves. <laughs> no such thing, man. No less complicated women out there. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I guess I I have it written down here, so I might as well go ahead and tell. Spoiler, if no one wants to know what it is that he has, because I don't think he actually shows it till Well, at this point, I mean, spoilers for the episodes, because clearly we're going in depth, so there's going to be spoilers to, like, anything that it's linked to. So, what he has stolen is a star path, NS9, NS-9 star path, which is just a navigation unit, and it pretty much, I think it gives him, like, the locations and movements of Imperial ships and all. Oh, so that's something he definitely should not yeah. have, and it's, like, a very hot item for yeah. him to have to deal with? Oh, yeah, it's something very important. Like, he got it out of the middle of an Imperial base, which should be near impossible, and he somehow did it. We don't get to see how he did it or anything like that, but we just know that he did it. And then this triggers another flashback where Cassian is back with the kids, and these flashbacks, these first couple are pretty short. You don't get a whole lot, but it's pretty much the same as the first one. It's flashback where they're in the village, but this time you see them getting prepared to go into almost like a fight. They got blowguns, and they're taking darts and dipping them into what I can only imagine is poison, or at least something that's going to hurt you if you get stuck with it. 
it. Yeah. And they're putting the face paint on with all the charcoal from the fire and all. And then that scene ends with him like doing that and looking at this girl, which seems to be the oldest girl. She's like putting the face paint on her chin and then he puts it on his chin in the same way, looking at her. Like there's almost something there. I found this for her. Yeah. Then like maybe like a motherly something. kind of deal. Like he looks up to her. Oh yeah, because like, he's copying her. Okay, yeah. And then uh that ends that flashback. And then we're back at corporate headquarters where Thrill Khan is just standing in the hallway. He's standing in the hallway looking at a door and he looks like he's really frustrated. Like he doesn't know what to do. He's frustrated and he's looking around and two other corporates walk by and they say something to him and he's just like flustered and goes, uh -huh. and then answers them and then it's just back to what he's doing and finally goes through the door. And what I think it is is at that moment he's struggling with the chief's orders because the chief told him to brush this under the rug and at this moment he is he's at the threshold it's either follow the orders or go through that door and when he goes through that door he is then defying the chief's orders because he's going into the intel room in which he does he goes in and then he he tells them to find where this murderer came from and all and they're looking it up and he's looking for the evidence and stuff and they wind up finding something and he puts out a bulletin for a dark figure or something like that and any information pertaining to it the killings he had to fuss with this dude this whole time like he had to threaten him with his job he was like i'm sure there's someone else here that would like to have your seat if you can't do it and then we go back to ferrix and andor and he's back walking through the street and he bumps into this guy that uh he owes money to and he threatens him with a big guy that's standing behind him like his bodyguard and he's like i'm not joking around and andor like turns around and looks at the guy and is like are you kidding me and he's like i'm not joking and then he looks at the big guy again and is like do you need money or something what, what's the matter man because he knows the guy he knows this big dude and so then he turns back to the other guy and goes i hope you're not serious and he's just like i won't tell him about this and then he just walks past and leaves he's just like i'm not dealing with this wow that was just a joke <laughs> and then the next scene they kind of yeah, showing they, off that he has connections and stuff not somebody you mess with lightly yeah he knows all of these people it's like he's got connections all over and this little small time guy was trying to shake him down for a little bit of money that he owed him and it's like i'll just get out of here <laughs> <laughs> then uh we go to now bix she leaves her shop and her boyfriend is watching she leaves and goes out he decides he's gonna follow her and see where she goes and i don't know if she knows or if it's probably just something that you know she does because like andor she's kind of into the espionage spy thing and she's going through the crowd weaving in between people as fast as you can going around corners and stuff she winds up losing him because he's obviously not good at this <laughs> he's trying to keep up he's knocking over crates and stuff people are getting mad and he's like i'm sorry he's turning this way and that way and finally loses her and then she winds up walking into this other shop it seems like a repair shop but for like wiring and stuff instead of how hers was maybe for taking parts and refurbishing them and putting them into speeders which is what she looked like she was working on a speeder bike but these guys have reels and reels of all kinds of cable she goes in and asks him to see a certain item 
phone and he's just like, okay, it's on the back rack. And she goes back and looks for it. It's not actually an item. She goes to this these reels of wires, pushes them aside, and goes up a ladder into what almost looks like a big chimney kind of tower. And there's a communication terminal set into the side of it so that she can communicate with her contact off planet. I'm guessing securely without Imperials or corporate being able to listen in. And so she calls him. There's no there's no dialogue. You can't hear what they're saying or anything. But she's pretty much telling him that she has something interesting for him and that he may want to check it out. And then this goes back to the corporate HQ where Cyril is still trying to get his people in gear to do what they're supposed to do. Uh-huh. And this is like another set of them. And he's really frustrated at this point. And you can tell because he is pretty much yelling. He is just like, y'all get to work. And he's, they keep telling him, we don't have jurisdiction here. And he goes, I know that, but it's still within our sector. Something like that. And he's like, check it out. Put out the bulletins. And they're like, well, they have a certain way of doing things. He's like, I don't care. Just do it. <laughs> just so frustrated with him. I think that is pretty much those scenes that show you that he has confidence in the office that's his world which becomes important later on when you know he gets out into the field and that is not his world he is not comfortable <laughs> things do not work out for him but after like that that sets up, <laughs> sets up another flashback this one is the final flashback of the episode and this is where Cassa and the other kids are all geared up and they're starting to walk off and he's about to go with them and Kira is running after him going Cassa all of this isn't in basic it's all in another language and fortunately there's no uh, subtitles so you can't you don't know what they're saying but you can imagine she's telling him to wait wait and probably not to go and he kind of sighs and is looking back and is i'm guessing i'll be okay i'll be back and yeah like you got like the tone and body language but you don't know what they're actually yeah yeah and then and then that's the end of episode one the first episode was named casa which i mean is obvious that it had a lot of casa in it the flashbacks they i didn't have much that i could write down because like i said they don't they didn't speak basic i could just describe where they were and everything but the scenes were kind of long to let you see a lot of the body language and everything and what was going on around them and then we go into episode two the the name of this one is that would be me which becomes obvious a little bit into here we start off with a flashback and casa and the group are walking to the crash site and casa walks upon this is a big mystery which i'm gonna give my little opinion on here he's walking with them and he comes up on this massive structure that when i i looked at what other people have said and it looks like a mining site to me at first glance it almost looked like pyramids but i mean i can't see that good it yeah. looked stepped they're like stepped but it's all along all the mountain ridges like for miles everywhere you look like he's standing in forest and everything from the tree line that he was standing was just like devastation it was just rock and these structures along all of the, the mountainsides they're supposedly mining structures which I think may have been something dealing with, because a lot of his stories around the Death Star, leading up to the Death Star, I think it may have been a site where they had mined a lot of the material for the Death Star, because it is such a massive mining site. But then back in... Where they mined the Death Star stuff either. Yeah, they never really tell you, and I mean, that's a lot of material, and it had to come from somewhere. And in this one, I I can go ahead and say it now, because I mean, all of this is spoilers, but in this one, you later 
later find out that uh, it was labeled as a mining disaster, the planet, which is why no one can go there and Imperials tell people not to go there. And usually, just like in the movie in Rogue One and all, when something is labeled a mining disaster, the Imperials have destroyed or wiped out something there. And in one other case, I believe it is, or maybe two other cases, when they have said that, it was the Death Star that did it. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe once they just got it operational, might even been a prototype because in Legends, they had prototypes that were never fully finished. And after the Empire was gone, they had found one that was just like a skeleton structure, but it could still fire. Maybe there was a prototype that took out this mining site to make oh, yeah. sure, you know, nobody found out about it, which is something the Empire, you know, would definitely do. Obviously does. Yeah. yeah. If they think anything could get out, just destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> and after that flashback, that's going to lead us to Ferrix. This is one of the things that I looked up that was really interesting and I kind of want to look into it more because part of it still puzzles me. The scene starts off when you go to Ferrix with the Time Grappler which that is, is the guy in the movie that you see this big stone tower and it goes up to him. He's walking up there and he puts on his, his ear protection and then goes over to a wall that has hammers set into worn spots and he picks up the hammers and then puts them on this big anvil which this is the mystery that I would like to know. This big anvil is made of Bascar, supposedly, from what I've read. What is that? Bascar is Mandalorian steel. <laughs> How is did it, they get that much Bascar? It's is it kind of like rare. Mandalorian steel? Is that why it's called something? Well, different? no. This, this has been this has been formed and all into a really nice, elaborate piece of work. Bascar is just like what they call the metal. Even in its raw form, it would be like Bascar ore, and this is pretty much it refined and made into this. But that's what's got me. That's crazy. got me a little curious is that how'd they get that much of it? Because it's supposed to it's be really, really rare, right? Yeah, it's really rare. At this point, the Mandalorians have supposedly been almost wiped out, so they're not making much of this anymore. And even you see in Mandalorian, which, I mean, is after the Empire has already fallen and stuff. Yeah. But it's still so rare then. But he has a bunch of it. That guy has a bunch of it because he was with the Empire. Empire. And the Empire is the ones that hoarded all of it. They mined it up as much as they could out of Mandalore while they controlled it. And that's why I, it was so rare. Yeah, I was gonna say, you think they're insinuating that, like, this structure is, like, very old from when Mandalorian was just, or the Baskar yeah. War was just oh, more abundant? Definitely. Definitely. It says that the Timekeeper, they've been doing this for a long time, apparently. And pretty much what he is, he's just like a big dang clock, kinda. But he's like, he does this hammer routine where he beats on it rhythmically and does like the same little almost like a dance with it and beats on it and he does it in the morning pretty much the ring in when they're all going to work because he does it on this beginning scene and then you're watching the camera goes to different areas of the city where Brazos getting his gloves and going to work Bix is getting up with her boyfriend and they're moving around in the shop and Andor's moving around and everything and it's just going to each one and he does it again in the evening and the same thing happens I believe it's on the same episode he does it in the evening and they're all going back to bed and stuff but it was really interesting I want to look into it more and find out where did the anvil come from because either Mandalorians were there before them and that was a Mandalorian settlement and they carried on the tradition or they bought it from Mandalore which I don't see 
how they would because I'm pretty sure Mandalore didn't really sell much of that off. I'm pretty sure they kept most of that to themselves. Like, they didn't want other people to have it. But anyway, that was mainly with their armor, which is what they put it all in. Might be different with an anvil. I'm going to ask this because I'm a little, I've I've just, it popped in my head. This place had like a defunct mining site. Is the Mandalore still only mined on a certain place or could this place have had the steel and they mined it up? Uh, As far as I know, I mean, Kanan might have changed this to where the Baskar ore could be found on other planets. But as far as I know from legends, it can only be found on, uh, I believe, one or two planets and Mandalore lore is one of them and they, they you'd have to go there to get it okay because even like uh, in legends they after the empire comes through and they mine it all they pretty much mine everything on the surface as deep as they can go and then uh the mandalorians can't find much of it then and a lot of them go to using like boba fett boba fett's armor most people would think oh it's mandalorian steel no, it's not. Boba Fett's armor is Durasteel. It's not Mandalorian steel. I believe he didn't want to get it, and also he couldn't. I'm pretty sure is what the story was. I'd have to look that up again. I'm not sure exactly if I remember what the story was behind it, but I, I know for sure he didn't have Mandalorian steel. Oh, you were talking about the timekeepers. Or the timekeeper, I guess. He's basically like a super sophisticated, expensive clock. <laughs> yeah. It's like a theater clock. Yeah, kind of. Like, time to get up for work. Let me do my dance. Okay. From there, uh, we go to Bix's in her shop, and she's in front of her computer, and she sees the description on Andor that he's... I keep calling him Andor. That's probably going to be confusing for people, although they should know by now. Yeah, Andor is Cassian. She sees the description on him, and she gets concerned, and you can see it in her face. Her boyfriend walks into the room and sees it and she immediately like she gets flustered and she shuts down what's on the screen and then she goes to walk out and he realizes hmm she didn't want me to see something so then he hurries up and goes around the desk and clicks on to what she was looking at and sees hmm, this description and it kind of seems like the other guy i'm thinking what he you know thinking kind of seems like him he's like looking out the door at her like what are you doing Okay, and here Andor makes it home. Okay, this is where we finally meet his mother for the first time. And her name is Marva. M-A-A-V-R-A. I want to spell it that way people know. Maybe they can figure out how to say it. Cause I, I'm pretty sure I got that one close. All right. yeah, I would want but to say Mayfra because there's two A's, but Star Wars doesn't really use phonetics very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they could. Well, it could be something completely different. It could be Mayfra. The first L-O. could be a Z for uh, all we know. Yeah, but uh, he, he walks into the house and he's all like, you know, almost like a kid that comes in from doing something he shouldn't be doing. He's coming in, he's talking quick. He ain't making eye contact and he's going right to the kitchen. <laughs> Well, he didn't go right to the kitchen, just saying that's how a kid would do. But he's he's fooling with stuff on the side and not he's looking like at her. Fidgety and, and avoiding eye contact. Yeah, she's just sitting in her, her chair, her little lounger, sitting back, just looking straight, like, I know you did something wrong. And she's got B2 sitting on the side, and just as he was coming in, when she heard him pulling the door, she's like, don't say nothing. (laughs) And he comes in, he's talking and talking, and she's finally like, read it. And Cassian goes, what? And then B2 is like, I I can talk now? He's kind of got a stutter and all, because B2's having power issues or something. I guess his power drains fast. He's getting old. (laughs) He's getting old for a robot. He's, "I I can talk now, and then he reads off the description okay and in the description they have added canari the place 
where he is from, which is also what got Vic's concern so much. But she sees it and she confronts him about it. It's like, who have you told about Canari? I have put on all your documents fests. And she becomes really agitated. Like she gets to the point to where she is like, who who told these these proxy bastards about Canari? And he's just like, I haven't told anyone, pretty much. Who have you told? And she's like, only family. And he names off too. And she she's just like shoots it right back at him and is like, but what about all your women? How many of them have you told? Starts Jeez. naming them all. <laughs> yeah. She starts naming them off and, and he's just no no. And uh poor B2 jumps in with Bix <laughs> and Dor just turns to him and is just like, keep her out of this. <laughs> but then uh they finally move on from there. That is where the title comes from. After he tells the droid, keep her out of this, she goes, well then who told them? And he finally kind of sighs and looks down and then kind of half looks over to her and goes, that would be me. The title of this episode. <laughs> so Canari is like something, they haven't explained it yet, I'm guessing, what's going on with Canari. Yeah, that is the planet where they're from that's in the flashbacks. I probably should have said this earlier, but yeah, that's whenever the flashbacks happen. Happen, that's where you're going to is you're going back to Kanari, which is uh the, the place where the mining disaster happens and all and from here we go to Tim he is in a bar drinking and so is Bix but Bix doesn't know two of them don't know that I guess they're in the same bar mm -hmm. Bix is off on a table way in the bar he's kind of like over by the bar and Cassian has come in and met up with her to find out about the contact and this is where she tells him that you know he's coming and there's no calling it off and she's a little annoyed because all of this stuff's happening and she's figuring out that he's in trouble that it wasn't just a hey i got this i need to see your contact so i can sell it it was hey i gotta get rid of this it's hot someone's coming after me yeah and like now she can't call it off because the guy's already on his way and so she's kind of mad with him and he's just like thank you for doing this and all and he reaches over like to put his hand on her forearm that's holding a drink like to say thank you and her boyfriend at that moment when he does that sees this and he can't see her face but he can see his face so it kind of looks like they're getting a little um, close you know too close for comfort yeah for a little too close for him like he's getting real jealous at this point this is like the straw that I'm broke the camel's back he walks off he walks out the bar and that's the end of that little scene with him and it goes back to them where he's holding her arm and she takes her other hand and like flicks it off like don't touch me but the boyfriend's already gone so he don't see that and then Cassian's just like you know thank you again and then he gets up and walks off and then it goes back to the boyfriend and the boyfriend's outside the bar and he's looking at these public comm units just thinking and he drink takes another sip and then that's where he throws down or he sets it aside and decides that's it i'm done he goes over to the public comms and he's calling up what i can only imagine is corporate hq to snitch on Cassie. He's a snitch. Yeah, and this sets up the scene going to corporate HQ where they have found a picture of Cassian and pretty much all of his information and they're pulling up the picture for Cyril Khan to see and this is where I get a little bit confused on who 
exactly uh, snitched on him. I mean, it could be a combination of both, but I'm almost tempted to think that maybe the boyfriend decided not to snitch and maybe called and then, you know, maybe hung up or he gave vaguer information than he, he was going to because mm -hmm. he called, but when they're getting the information and they're looking at this picture, the hostess from episode one, who he walked up to and said he was looking for his sister from Canari, his sister, mind you, so he's from Canari, not Fest, which is on all his papers, she shows up in the same briefing room with them as they're looking at the picture. Oh, so many coincidences. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking it. She may have told them that, hey, I've seen this guy. He's asking about Canari. It's a sister. He's probably from Canari. I don't know. Actually, I think she did say his name. So she may have even known his name. So she could have given the name up, too. So the boyfriend could have called and was like, he's so drunk, he could have called, been mad about it, decided maybe not to do it, or just pass out or something, and didn't realize it, because he does get confronted by her later, where he tries to stop her from going to help Cassian, but he doesn't say if he did anything or anything. He's just like, don't. And she's like, how do you know? How do you know? Did I ever tell you about Kanari? And he just doesn't even want to look at her, because he's so ashamed. And then she finally, she's just hitting him on the chest, and it's just like, I can't believe you did this and then walks out and then the other guy that warned her about what was going on he's like what did you do and he still didn't say anything and just turns and goes and runs after her. so really yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of tempted to think that maybe he decided to be the not to be a dick <laughs> and you know snitch on the guy it sounds yeah. like canari is a huge buzzword and like if anybody brings it up there must be like a bounty or something like that's why that hostess came forward well, with it because it's like this person said they're from canari like that's a thing well, you're looking for the thing is if, if you're from canari you, you shouldn't be because you know, anyone finds out on the Empire you're from Canari, they're gonna come get you because they supposedly wiped all those people out. I mean, that's what I'm thinking because all the parents are gone. So what I'm thinking is all the parents were the miners and they either took the miners off the planet or they wound up just executing them all there and the kids, the parents might have seen it coming and got the kids out or towed the kids to escape and they're now, you know, surviving on their own in the wilderness. Just my theory on that. And then I guess after the whole thing with what happens with this ship and all, they may have thought something got leaked because something obviously did. So then the mining disaster happened and wiped it all out, which I'll get to that when we get episode three. But all right, Corporate HQ, he's got the, the photo now and knows who he's looking for. Cyril Khan, yeah. the corporate guy. And we go back to Ferrix. Then they're not doing the fighting part that I described yet, where they were arguing. This, he has called the cops in the other scene, pretty much. This is going to where Bix has now, she's left the bar. They don't show this in the thing, but I mean, she just got done meeting up with Cassian. Now she's showing up at Tim's place. Still pretty drunk, pretty tipsy, and she's holding a bunch of her stuff. And she's like, I couldn't sleep, you know, can I come in? <laughs> and he lets her in, and she's like, are you okay? And he's like, I am now. <laughs> And she goes to lay down, and he, I don't think anything happens that night. I think she's just a drunk. She lays down, passes out. It goes to she wakes up later on, and he was, he's like watching her. After that, she goes to sleep and all. We go back to corporate. Cyril Khan is at it again. 
at corporate, he's he's walking around in his little command room, like watching people, watching his intel people, trying to keep them straight and everything. And then in walks in our next big character and a guy I kind of like because of his accent. I love his accent. He's got a thick Scottish accent. I believe it's Scottish because they did a lot of the scenes for this over there. And I'm guessing they got a bunch of their actors because there is a lot with that, uh, that accent. There's a lot of actors with that accent in, in this show. But we meet, his name is Linus Mosk. I believe is how you pronounce his last name, M-O-S-K, Linus Moss, and he's a sergeant in pretty much, I'm guessing, what is like their tactical unit, almost like corporate SWAT. He's dressed in the armor and stuff in a uniform that almost looks like armor. It's padded, but he comes in and announces himself, and Cyril Khan, the guy goes to talk to him about what's going on, and Cyril Khan almost like gets offended at first, and is like, we have to go after these murders. Anything less would be a dereliction of duty, and the sergeant almost like kind of cuts him off, and is like, like, brown nosing to the point that uh, he, he he could smell this guy's intestines. Like, mm -hmm. he's, dude, you have to go after him, sir. This is good. This is good for morale. Yeah. Ooh, da, 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 da. Like, he's egging him on and all. Mm -hmm. They finally, he tells them, how many people should we go, should we use to go after this one guy? And so he's like 12. And then he gets to this, this one, this uh, line that I like in here. The best way to keep the blade sharp is to use it. And wow. so, and, and he's talking about these pockets pockets of unrest that are fermenting like he's he's trying to push this guy into being more active which i'm sure is what the police i keep saying police but it's corporate it's pretty much like police but the corporate chief seems he does not want to do that because he doesn't want to draw the attention of the empire if he if he's going to go at their case he wants to be quiet about it yeah and he doesn't that kind of would, the boat. yeah he don't want to rock the boat and get the imperials to be like oh is that a rebel and then they move in and take over his jurisdiction because I'm sure that's what he's thinking will happen because that's exactly what would happen. The Empire will come in, throw a base down and be like, we have to stop the rebels. And if they're unlucky, they'll just take care of the whole thing and just wipe it all out because that's what they like to do. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that, that's what most of these these other planets are, I'm sure, are worried about. They will do anything to stop the Empire from moving in because when they do move in, bad things happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, let's see, we move to which Endor is he's on another old ship and so this like one scavenging well this one he, he's on an old ship but this old ship is the ship that he comes to this planet on with his mother it's Marva's old ship he's looking around in the compartments and what I think is a little funny is that the compartment that he hides the NS9 unit in the same compartment when Marva is bringing him pretty much to his new home mm -hmm. I mean she's not bringing him willingly she has to dose him and put him to sleep but he wakes up whenever this is happening his adopted dad uses the same compartment to put whatever they stole off of that ship into that compartment he puts the ns9 in that the same i just thought that was really interesting and then uh from there he goes and sits down on a bench and pretty much pulls out his pistol and he's he's just waiting he's just waiting for the contact to get there and pretty much holding up in that old ship because i mean 
who's going to come looking in a junkyard full of ships for one guy sitting in a, an old wreck. He's kind of holding the pistol down and I guess passes out and we get to a flashback, which is of him again, Cassa, <laughs> with the other kids and they are, I believe at this point, at the cr- yeah, they're at the crash site. They are sitting hidden near the crash site and the oldest girl, she goes to move in and I'm guessing she's uh she's almost like their little commander because she she's like whistling to them as she's moving in and getting them to move around on different sides to cover her though it doesn't work out too well for her she uh she moves in and she gets to the first guy and pokes him and he doesn't move he's laying down on the ground i guess i should describe this scene where they're at is a huge slide where the ship slid and then crashed into these trees Mm -hmm. and in the slide there's one body about halfway and then another one that is at a hole in the ship almost like a hatch and it's hanging out and she's walking up to this where her blow dart pointed at him and she pokes the first one and he doesn't move so then she continues and it goes back to Casa, and he's looking around at them she moves to the, the one at the hatch pokes him he doesn't move but then he starts to slide out of the hatch and falls to the ground and when he falls she's kind of looking a little bit closer because he's got a mask half hanging off and his face is yellow the other guy's face is yellow and while she's kind of investigating that the guy behind her in the slide gets up Cassa sees it they either don't know what the gun is I guess or they just don't realize what's happening but he gets up and immediately pulls his gun up and fires into her back and puts her down don't know if she's dead or not I mean from first glance it looks like she's probably dead when they go to grab her it looks like her eyes are rolled back Mm -hmm. but you can't really tell and they are kind of flipping out but they carry her off after they blow dart the crap out of this guy he must have like 15 darts in him they just kept shooting him in from behind the trees and he kept spinning trying to shoot him but they took him down. And after they carry her off, at the very end of the flashback, Casa is, he's looking at them carrying her off, and he's holding his blow dart gun in one hand, and his other fist is kind of loose at his side, and then he turns back to the ship and looks at the ship and kind of angles his head down and gets that dark look on his face, and then balls his fist real tight, like, I'm gonna get you, and I think that is where he starts his long, lifelong fight against tyranny. I think that is where he he turns to that. That ends that flashback. We go back to the present, space over Ferrix. This is where we meet another big character, and a big character in Rogue One. This is Lothan Real, which is the spy master from Rogue One. He's the one that was given Cassian his orders. You can kind of tell what's going to wind up happening. He's the contact that's coming here. And he's on his way in this pretty strange looking ship. It's almost like a mesh up of, uh, looks like different parts of TIE Fighters. Put together. Oh, yeah, just say it's got some strange angles. I mean, it's reminiscent of an Imperial ship, which I think is what kind of gets him around without getting caught or anything. But he's making his way down. So he is the contact that she had called? Yeah, yeah, he's the contact she calls. And uh, he's making his way down into the planet. The morning bell is rung by the time grappler again, and you get to see that. Vix, oh yeah, this is where I've, I've gotten a little far ahead on the other one. Vix wakes up at Tim's place and this is where Tim is just sitting there watching her and she's like you got some calf and they drink coffee and it's just a little scene where it's it's kind of like Tim is watching her and he's happy and stuff 
and you don't know. I mean, it, it's like he's happy that he's with her and trying to find the words for it. It's very domestic I mean, fluffy kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it's like he's happy that he's with her, and it's kind of like, you don't know whether it's he's also happy that he's ratted on this guy and got rid of him, or maybe he thinks he made the right choice or something. Mm-hmm. Like he's kind of gloating, and, he's like, I did right, this is going to be my life now, because nobody's yeah, between me and her. Yeah, it's kind of a weird, weird little deal, but Endor uh, is up. He's in his the wrecked ship, his mother's, and he's looking for a calm, digging around for one. And I don't know how this is, but the little B2 unit, I'm guessing he either used him to to encode his comm link. I don't think it was to make the comm link. He had it in B2 and then he pulls it out. I think he gives one to B2. That may be what it is because B2 has one later that talks. Maybe he put one into him because B2 can't communicate with him or something. Like R2 could. You know how he could communicate over distance? Yeah. Maybe B2 couldn't do that and he had put a comm link in him. It was a little bit confusing that scene what exactly he did, but he winds up taking a comm link and then he's sitting there and he pushes the button. He's like, you don't listen to me though, do you? And the little robot's like, I, you know, he tries to, but he loses power a lot. <laughs> but then we move on from him talking to him and he, he tries, he gets B2. He tells him a lie to tell to anyone else and to not tell anyone where he was going. But from there, we are back home at Marva. Marva is she's a little worried and she's looking around for B2 and she walks into Andor's room and discovers that Andor has got a lot of stuff missing and some of his stuff has shifted around a little bit you know like he's packed rifling through or something well no not not like someone has ransacked or anything but like he's been in there and he took stuff out like he's packed a little bit he's you know things are still neat. Stuff. yeah things are still neat but there's a lot of stuff there that's missing that should be there if you were living there <laughs> like clothes and stuff like that she walks over and sees his blowgun and she picks it up and it's kind of like reminiscing with the blowgun and that's the end of of her scene and it goes with her looking at the blowgun it goes to like a flashback that's the kind of thing that i was talking about on the first one where it's like each it's not just one of them that sets off the flashback it's like each one of them goes to a certain item or something from his past mm -hmm. and that sets off the flashback but now we go to uh he is at the hatch of the ship he gets up into the hatch and starts walking in, and he's passing all a bunch more of these people with yellow faces and stuff. And that's another thing. I've seen another reviewer that talked about this, and he he was wanting to know why why the yellow faces and all of this. And in the show, she says it. She's in the ship, and she has they both have gas masks on. And she gets in there and she pulls it off after B two is like there's no toxic you know residue or anything in the air and all and. Clem Andor, the father, I guess I'll go ahead and say his name now, he has a gas mask on and he's like, what are you doing? Don't take it off. And she goes, it's it's okay. It's all whatever toxins were here is burnt off now. So either their reactor cracked open or they were transporting some toxic gas or something that leaked out, okay, which is why I had the mask and turned yellow. Because, I mean, even the smoke that was coming off of the ship after the kids got there, there was yellow smoke uh, denting off the ship. So some toxin got loose, whether from their engine, their own engines or what they were carrying, which when you, you start getting a little bit further into the story, very well could have been a, some toxin or something that was for possibly the Death Star. 
continue with this flashback, he walks in and he's passing these officers. And this is another little tidbit that uh, most people, if you're just watching the show and you're not really into Star Wars, might go right past this and not know. He's passing these officers and you get a good look at one of their insignias and it's not an imperial insignia. Although a lot of people might mistake it for one, it's like a hexagonal deal and it almost looks like a tie fighter if you turn if you were looking at the side of it, kind of looks like the wing. Mm-hmm. But that's not an imperial insignia. That is a separatist insignia. The ship is separatist. And if I almost didn't want to believe it, I was thinking, nah, it's got to be imperial. But if you look at the timeline, this where he is in the present is 5 BBY. Yeah. He was now much younger, but the end of the Clone Wars happened uh, 19 BBY. So subtract 5 from 19, you get about 14. So if you took 14 years off of where he is in the present, it be he kid. could be about as young as, yeah, a little kid. He could be about as young as he is right there in that. Because he looks like he's not 18, but maybe around 14 or something. So he could very well be 20, you know, 26, 28 maybe in the present. And you gotta and think it, the it would, child, you gotta also yeah. factor in the child actors might not be as young as he actually is. Like, they might have 8-year-olds portraying, like, a 5-year-old or something. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the timeline kind of works out to where this is a separatist ship. And another little, another tidbit that uh, people might not know unless they've watched the Clone Wars series. The Separatists, the Death Star was not actually a plan that was concocted entirely by, I mean, it was concocted by the, the Empire, you know, Palpatine. It was concocted by Palpatine, put it that way. It was not completely concocted by the Empire. The Separatists had the plans. If you watch, I believe it's on Genosis, Count Dooku gets the Death Star plans from Luke Gunray, I believe is his name. And he's the guy that's all and stuff in the movie. <laughs> I believe it's Luke Gunray. And he gets the plans from him and wants to go bring it back to his master. That's where the Death Star comes from. So it's a separatist deal. So the this is a separatist were going to build a Death Star, or were they building something that like the Empire just expanded on? Oh no no no! It was the Death Star when he grabbed when he grabbed the plans. It wasn't like he grabbed a paper plan. He grabbed like a little holocron thing mm-hmm. from the other guy. And he had in his palm a hologram of the Death Star, like as it looked like the first one was floating there. So, I mean, it was the Death Star. <laughs> and he hands it over to Dooku, and Dooku takes it to bring it back to his master. But, I mean, that's a new kind of thing with Kanan. Legends, I don't think they did that. I think they added that afterwards. It adds up to where, like, that ship is Separatist. The Separatists had the plans. This is a, a massive mining operation. So hmm, the, the Death Star very well could have been involved in all of this. That's what makes all of that kind of adds up to me. It makes me think that. Yeah, but, really uh, heavily foreshadowing Death Star was here. Yeah, that's what I think is going to wind up happening later on. Is they're going to unveil that Death Star did something to that. He's in the ship and he sees those insignias. He keeps walking past that though. Gets into this control room and then stops because it's just a big... I mean, it's not real massive, but it's big and round and there's just dials and lights and stuff everywhere. And he's kind of like overwhelmed. But at the same time, he, he starts getting annoyed because these are the people that have killed the girl. So then he starts beating instruments with his blow dart. When he swings the first time, that's when the flashback ends. And we go to... 
We go back to Ferrix, and Endor is at the shipyard. And he's at the ship that he used in the first one to fly to Marlona 1. And he's fooling with instruments in it, and this guy walks up with Corillian hounds, which are just like alien dogs kind of deal. They're uh, little. I mean, like, not real little, but... Like Odin size? Oh, no, 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 no. Not that small. Yeah. But big, bigger than that. Like a baby was. Kind of like a little oh, okay. mutt. Yeah. yeah, so like just, a, just like a, a small, but not a too. little doll. So probably a dog yeah. is like 40 pounds or something. Yeah, it's pretty much almost like a, a scrapyard kind of like dog, like a little bulldog. And they got them uh, They got him just to pretty much, I guess, get rid of the rats, because that's what he makes the excuse for when he sees Andor there fooling with the stuff. And the guy sitting by the ship, his boss comes over in the intercom and is like, what's going on out there? And he's just like, oh, oh the yard rats are back again. And Andor is telling him it wasn't a running as well as I'd like it. So he was changing out a chip and the guy's getting agitated. He's like, mm-hmm, the, the normal Tessian treatment. And uh, he finally, the guy, I guess, gets mad enough to where he's just like, when you're done here, close it out. We're done. That's it. No more favors. Uh, no more no more trips or whatever. And uh, Tessian's trying to like plead with him to let him, uh, let him use it, but it's no good. The guy walks off. And so he's got to find another way off the planet. He's lost his ship, his only way. So he's trying to like, get out of there basically yeah he's trying to plan his escape while he's also uh planning on meeting this guy but now his escape route is cut off <laughs> we go to a view of hyperspace and a big ship i don't know exactly what it's called but i'm sure it's like a like a small carrier because it has attached to it a bunch of shuttles that are reminiscent of the Lambda-class shuttles that uh, the Empire uses, but they're smaller. <laughs> they're almost like baby wannabe Lambdas, because they got the little flip-out wings, but when these guys get in it, it is tight, tight quarters. And I mean, it's only like walk-in, standing space for guys, two guys shoulder-to-shoulder, shoulder, and then the pilot in the front, and there's no door between them, and then just a back hatch. And when the back hatch opens, they just walk right out. There's no extra room. Baby Lambdas. <laughs> yeah, baby Lambdas. <laughs> I'll make a picture of that. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> but, but uh we go from a view outside the ship, they're in hyperspace, to then inside the ship and they're briefing the troops pretty much that they have brought. And it's Linus Moss who's given this I mean not inspirational speech, but pretty much what you would think of when a SWAT team is going out. He's like he's telling debriefing. them your team east, your team west. And, you know, this one's Team uh, North, and that's their three teams. Linus Mosk and Cyril Karn are on West Team, and he's telling them all what's happening. And he's like, and if the locals have anything to tell you, just tell them that they can send all their comments to the once a month thing or something like that. You know, like, he's being a dick. Yeah. And he's, like, telling them that, and these other cops just smiling, like, shaking their head. Like, they're liking this whole speech that he's telling them. And then he hands it over to Cyril Karn. And this is where, where I have, real. like, been describing how he's an office guy and he's more confident there. He gets in front of these big guys and you can tell immediately. He is Nervous. uncomfortable and intimidated beyond measure. Like, he, he's up there and he's um, okay. We gotta go out here and we're gonna do this. Like, he's real timid and stuttering yeah. to the point that a couple of them are shaking their head. One guy, just like, he 
looks down and he's just like, mm. <laughs> and so he finally gets done with his speech. They are not impressed. They yeah, clearly. Yeah, he, Linus pretty much dismisses them, and they walk off, and he's like, yeah, let's go, and does a little clap, and they all barely clap and walk off, and Linus, true to what he's been doing the whole time, he walks over to him and puts a hand on his shoulder and is like, very inspirational, sir, good, very good speech. <laughs> and the other guy is like, Love he knows. Yeah, yeah, he knows. He's like, you just blow smoke up my ass. He he stays there standing the whole time, just staring off at where those people were like, oh, I'm such an idiot. And the Linus say, guy walks off with the troops. I have to say this because <laughs> I haven't seen the show, but I feel like the little guy who's like blowing smoke up his ass is just doing that because if this shit goes bad, that dude is going to get in trouble. And that little dude just wants his seat. Because he's yeah. going to get in trouble. He's going to be but removed, also, and that guy wants his place. Mm-hmm. But also, if it goes good, he'll be the tactical sergeant on that team. Might get brownie points, too. Yeah, that dude because, just makes me think of, like, a, a two-faced name. Yeah. Like, if this goes bad, he is turning on that guy so fucking fast. Yeah. Like, this wasn't my idea. He's the commanding officer. Mm-hmm. I told him it was a bad idea for the Stark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he's been brown-nosing the whole time. And then this goes, we are now over Ferrix. And this is, uh, let me see, where's his name? Lothan Real. He is not in his ship anymore. He lands his ship way, way out of town in the hills. And he's, yeah, he's the contact. And he's looking, he, he was looking for a place for the meeting and he sees this factory and he doesn't say anything, but I mean, he's looking over the area and he stops at that. So, I mean, you kind of know that that's where he's going to wind up. That's where things are going to go down. And then in this shuttle, as he's going down, taking this shuttle to the city, he's talking to this other old guy who's, like, giving him just little tidbits of the planet and all. It's just a little scene filler. It probably becomes important later on with the guys saying, but uh, for now, it just it's just little things like, don't go to this hotel, they rob you, and da 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 Oh, it's basically like they're filling out, like, lore and shit, because they're, like, yeah, they're just filling out a little bit extra lore. Yeah, and then uh, we move on to Endor. Yeah, this, this is the last scene of episode two, is Endor is walking through the junkyard just purposely straight towards the camera, like hand on his side, like he's holding his little pouch deal, and he's just walking forward. He's going to the meeting. End of episode two. Now we go to episode three, which is titled The Reckoning. Oh, that's that's a title. Yeah, which is the perfect title for this one. This is my favorite one. It starts off at Canari Crash Site, and Casa, he is in the ship alone. We see he's hitting stuff. Okay, so it's like picking up from where it last left off with the flashbacks then. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But now he's like, he's he's just beating away at a bunch of the stuff. And then we go to Ferris, where Andor tells Brazo he's leaving, and he's gonna leave money. He's got a thing. He doesn't tell him what, but he tells him he's got a thing that's coming through, and he's gonna get a, get some money and leave it for Marva. This is also another thing that makes me think he's, he's either a friend or instrumental to their family, like a father or a mentor, yeah. because he's telling him that he's gonna leave money for Marva, not where, but I guess the guy will know. Yeah. And he tells him he's leaving and he'll try to come back, but he doesn't know if he'll make it back. And Brazo is like, well, can you tell me? And he's just like, it's better if you don't know. And then he leaves. 
And Brazo is just left staring after him, like, what is going on? I want to ask now, because I know, like, this Brazo guy is, like, a mentor figure. You've mentioned he had, like, a stepdad. Is he not in the picture anymore? Is it just him and his mom? No, his, yeah, that's getting to it. His, his stepdad dies. I'm trying to remember how. I think I have to look it up, because I don't think they tell you in here how his, his stepdad dies. Okay, so it's just like, he's just not around right yeah, now. Yeah, he's just not around, and you're left to to wonder what the heck happened to him because he actually when he's bringing Cassian when they're bringing him home mm-hmm. he's still alive like he's there's nothing wrong with him he makes it and that's how the flashback ends all the flashbacks up to the last episode ends with him alive but then in the present he's just not there okay we're back on the shuttle. The shuttle bus has landed, and Lothan is, he's walking the streets with his uh, little cane, which is a crazy little cane. I don't know why he uses it, because he kind of just holds it out in front of him, not touching anything or anything, you know, not using it, like, for legally blind or anything like that, or even really, it doesn't look like, you know, one of those commander things, the little batons, either, because at one point, he pushes a button, and it just collapses in on itself, and then he puts it in his pocket, almost like a lightsaber. You know, he might be, because I've actually, like, this is a problem with real life, too. He might be one of those people who has a cane that is similar to a blind person cane, so that he seems unassuming. Like, you see him, you're dismissive. Like, the normal oh, person maybe. doesn't know what it looks like when a blind person uses a cane. Maybe, because he does look kind of older. So maybe yeah, so like he's trying to cane. look like, he's like, oh, look at me, I'm old, I have a cane. I'm unassuming, yeah. I'm defenseless, you know forget you saw me, and people are just like, oh yeah, he's not important. Yeah, they just kind of glimpse at him and are like, nah, next person. (laughs) Okay, yeah. He's walking the streets, and he's just walking, not really, it doesn't seem like he's looking for anything, he's just walking straight down the kind of the middle of the street, and Bix is at a bar, and she's looking down the street, you know, kind of watching for him. She spots him, and then immediately pays her tab and runs over, and she starts informing him of what's happening, that he's in trouble, the corporates are after him, and there's a, there's a lot of heat, and he's like, I've seen the notice, and uh, he goes, but they don't mention him by by name or something like that. And she goes, no. So he was like, so it could just be, it could be anybody. They're not uh, narrowing it down or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, and then he asks her, do you trust him and stuff like this? And it, she's like, he'll be there. And that's the end of that scene. I had to write a lot of that because go back and forth to all kinds of different areas. But now... Shit's about to get crazy. Yeah. We're in the upper atmosphere over Ferrix and... Three corporate tactical shuttles with the three teams take off from their ship and start going down. And then it skips over to Cyril looking nervous in one of the ships. I mean, like, he's he's staring out past the pilot through the view screen, and he's just looking, looking like he's about to wet in pants. <laughs> he is in over his head at this point. Yeah. He, he at one point, kind of looks over at uh, Linus, and Linus kind of looks over at him like, oh, boy, what have I done bringing this guy in? And then uh, it goes to B2 EMO. He's rolling down the street and triggers another flashback. They're on Canari in the crash ship, and we get our first look at Andor's father, Clem Andor. This is where they finally show up in what I was kind of describing earlier, where Clem has got his gas mask on, and Marva has hers, like, she's holding hers on, and asks B2 about the atmosphere, and he tells them it's it's clean, so then he she pulls hers off, 
and tells him to go ahead and pull his off. And uh, after a little bit of protest, he does it. And they they hear the kid banging on stuff. They don't know what it is. Clem is like, let's get out of here. I don't want to know what that is. And she's like, oh, come on. We gotta, we've got to check it out. we got to get the uh, the stuff that they were looking for. So she pushes them forward, and they get to the room the kid's in. Camera is on the kid, just bashing everything. Mm -hmm. And Clem walks in, and he leans up against the wall, kind of with the gun in his hand, not pointing at the kid. But, and Marva comes in behind him and walks off the side, and he's like, I like you, I like your uh, gumption, kid, or something like that. And uh, the kid doesn't speak basic, so he's... He just starts yelling a bunch of stuff and pulls up the blow dart and he kind of lifts his gun and Marva's like, he can't understand you. And she tries to go towards him and Cassian keeps backing up and he's bumping into a wall and stuff like he he's holding the thing up to her, but doesn't want to shoot her because she don't have a gun or nothing. Yeah. So he's not holding it straight at her and she keeps moving towards him and Clint is like, we got to get out of here. We don't have time for this. And then B2, he announces a warning going, there's a Republic ship inbound, which is another interesting thing. There's Republic ship, not Imperial or anything. The Republic's still around, so they're still fighting the Separatists. This is right near the end of the war. Gotta be. And he's like, they're coming in, and she's worried that when they come in, they could, I guess, either destroy the ship or kill them because she wants to get out. And this is where I've seen some other reviewers say that he may have been fighting for the Separatists against tyranny of the Republic. Then when the Republic fell, he started fighting against the tyranny of the Empire. So maybe she was doing the same thing. I'm not entirely sure which side they were on, if they were rebel or Separatists. Because, I mean, at this point in the present, I imagine she's no longer doing this stuff. She's not with the Separatists. She's kind of just retired, living her life. Yeah. Where And he's kind of like following in her footsteps, but the Separatists ain't around. So he's just doing what he can by himself. Were the rebels but now around? he's going to join, well, he eventually, gonna... he's going to join the rebels by the end yeah. of this. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, because you said they're, they say I see Separatists. Were the rebels around during the Separatist time, or are the rebels just what happens after no. the Separatists are destroyed? The rebels are what happens after Empire destroys the pretty much. Well, they don't destroy the Republic. They kind of just become. They they basically take it over. Yeah, they take it over. Like Palpatine pretty much dissolves the Senate and turns it into dictatorship. A, yeah, a dictatorship, pretty much. That's when the Republic kind of is dead, and uh, that's when the rebellion starts. Well, it starts pretty much before that. She's trying to get to the kid, and she's like, we got to get, oh, Clem is, we got to get out of here now. You better think about what you're doing. And she's like, there's no time to think about it. We got to get him out now. If we leave him here, he's going to die. And she tells B2, give me the, the sleeper, I think she calls it, or a drowser. And she takes this little shot thing, and she finally gets close enough to him, gets an arm around him, and then sticks him with the needle, and he just passes out. And then she carries, she picks him up, and they carry him out and rush him out to the ship. I think that flashback ends before they get to the ship. But it's probably insinuating uh -huh. them saying they're leaving, that they're they're going, they're taking this kid with them. He's, he's been kidnapped, yeah. apparently. Yeah, they pretty much kidnapped this kid, which is why he's looking for his sister in the very first scene. Because he, he's pretty much been taken away from them. They didn't know that there were other people there. They just saw that this kid was there by himself, and he was going to die if he stayed there. So they took him, and now he doesn't know what happened to his sister. So he's trying to find her. After he warned them, I don't think they got to the part where they gave him the shot yet. We go back to Ferrix. 
the shuttles land, troops are moving out to go find Endor. Uh, Endor. Endor. Andor, uh, Brazo, who is there where the shuttle, one of the shuttles has landed, he's working with two other workers, and the two other workers see them and is like, we haven't seen blues in a while, talking about their uniforms, and uh, Brazo sees it, and they're they're just like, they mention like they're probably out looking for somebody, and he's kind of, you know, you can kind of tell he's not happy, and then he, he goes back to work, and then we go to Cassian, who is... Last he's we saw, at, he was in the junkyard. Yeah, he, he's in the junkyard. At this point, he's at the meetup. He goes there, and he's standing in the building, and that triggers another flashback, and I believe this is the one where uh, they trank him. Yeah, Marvel uses the dozer, uh, drowser, to calm Cassian so they can get him out. All right. And then it goes back. You see what I mean? At this point in the episode, it's like they're trying to, back to wind back. everything down to yeah. the last little bit to where you, you get to see his whole backstory. Which is why I was kind of confused why they would put out three episodes. But I guess that's kind of what they needed to get his entire backstory. So that well, you that... can really see his character when they yeah. start moving forward with the rest of his story. And it seems like they wanted to get his backstory out in the inciting action which is this deal this deal is like yeah. a huge action that is going to be setting up the rest of the series i'm guessing yeah we're at ferrix the west team which is cyril and linus they move on his house where marva is and they they pretty much go in and they're searching she tries to stop them at first to hit the button to close the door but cyril stops her or Sarin. I'm not sure how to say his name, but he stops them. I'm going to just say Karn. He stops them, stops her, and they go in and start searching. And then it goes to Bix, who is in her shop, and it's it's just like a normal scene. Things seem normal. She's standing behind a desk, and she tells uh, her boyfriend that, that some things were in the alley, I believe, and he's got to pick them up. And then it cuts again <laughs> to uh, Linus, who finds B2EM at Marva's, and he pulls them out pretty much to, like, interrogate the droid. And they, uh, Cyril threatens to unplug him because he sees the droid is having trouble with power, and the droid even says it at one point, that he can't talk or something because he doesn't have power. But uh, he winds up not not spilling the beans, but like I was saying earlier, Cassian had uh, calm, and I didn't know whether they were he was putting it in or out. Well, this is the point where it messes him up. He uses his calm to call B2, but B2, I guess, can't shut off the that's not a part of him that's in him mm -hmm. and you can hear Cassian talking and he's he's like tell Marva I'm sorry I didn't mean to you know do this or whatever and all and what he's doing and everything and while he's talking the uh, Linus sergeant pulls out a device that's like a little comm tracker and he's moving around the apartment pointing it in a direction and then gets the direction where he's at tells Cyril and then they decide they're gonna have they gotta move in you know get all the teams over there but then they decide to leave well Cyril tells him we'll leave one guy behind but then one of the other ones see that there's a lot of there's people walking by Marva's window and they keep looking in and then running off and another one runs by and looks in and they're like well we're drawing a lot of attention you might want to leave too <laughs> 
<laughs> so then they leave and leave those two officers, which mm, Marble messes with them good. She doesn't do anything to them, but just talking to them, she gets them psychologically. But uh, we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah, because they're already they're in what they view as oh, yeah. territory. Because these people don't want them there. They shouldn't. Be yeah, there. and they have no they have no like authority there, so they don't have any other precincts there or no backup. any backup. Any backup has to come from the atmosphere, from the ship that sent them down. The cops are moving in through the streets and they start announcing that they're serving a warrant and it's pretty much Linus Moss and Cyril and them walking through the streets and for whatever reason he announces it loud. And when he does, you see a couple of other younger guys, like they hear it, notice, and they go running off. Like, we gotta go warn somebody. Not like, oh, I did something wrong, but like, you know. Uh-huh. We've got to go notify people. And then it cuts to uh, one of them runs in and warns Bix. And this is the whole other scene that I had described earlier between Bix and her boyfriend. This yeah. guy runs in, tells her that there's cor- there's corporate security here serving a warrant for the description of the guy. Da, 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 da. This seems like Cassian. What has he got himself into? Da, 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 you know. And that's when she decides, She's like, she turns to him and is like, Someone ratted him out, and she goes to walk out the door, grabs her coat and stuff, and the boyfriend comes over and stops her, and that's when she, like, confronts, did I ever tell you about Kanari? Did I tell you that? You know, and then she runs out, and he goes after her. Back at the meeting place, Cassian shows him the NS9 star path, and Lothan wants the star path, which he kind of explains a little bit later. He wants it, but at this point, he he wants to know how Cassian got it, because he shouldn't be able to have gotten it. Yeah. And, uh... He, he had already asked him about his background and all this, and Cassian puts a gun, like, points a gun at him and all, and like, how do you know all of this about me and everything? At this point, who doesn't know Cassian? I mean... <laughs> yeah. At that point, that's pretty much when Lothan, once he, uh, Cassian describes to him, I'm just gonna describe this whole scene part because it keeps cutting back and forth to them, and it's gonna get confusing if I keep, yeah, no, if we I can keep do going it. back and forth. We so, can do it in chunks, so we can go back, we can describe all this, and then just say what happened in the other scene. What happens is he's he's kind of like testing him, and he's he asks him, like, he mentions about his father being hanged, but he doesn't say his father. He tells him, yeah, I might get hanged in the square, kind of like your father. And that's when Cassian pulled the gun, and he's like, how do you know about all this? How do you know this much about me? And, uh, which kind of tells you what happened to the dad. Something must have happened to Clem that he got hung in the square. I, I don't know what exactly happened. Which is probably, it might, might be why that's a free zone. You know, maybe, maybe that's what caused these people to get as radical as they are the way they act when the corporates come in, you know? But He's holding the gun on him, and Lothan is trying to get out of him how he got into the place. And that's when uh, Cassian finally, like, kind of relents a little bit and realizes that he's trying to recruit him, you know. And he's, uh, well, he doesn't, he, he probably gets the idea that he's recruiting him. He doesn't know yet, but he tells him that the Imperials are so fat and happy, they don't think that any, they couldn't even fathom that somebody would put on one of their uniforms and just walk right in straight to a secure area, take their most important possessions, and how he says it, and spit in their food, and steal their personal possessions and stuff, and then walk out. They're so arrogant, they couldn't, they they just wouldn't be able to tell, you know, they couldn't fathom somebody doing that. Their security and, is just uh, that lax. Yeah, and that's when uh, Lothan is like, it's, it's their arrogance that will 
you know, be the fall of them. And uh, he decides at that point, that's when he's like, he's going to recruit them. And then uh, he winds up pulling out this uh, little device after uh, it starts beeping in his pocket. And he asks Cassian, he's like, do you have a comm on you? And he goes, yeah. And he pulls it out. Oh, no. He, he tells him, yeah. And he goes, give it to me. Gives it to him and he throws it down and he crushes it. And he goes, lesson one, don't bring anything with you. You can't control. You don't control. And then uh, he pulls out another little device. Or it might have been the same one. This this it kind of cut from there, but it comes back and he pushes a button on it. And he's like, "What is that?" And he goes, "Charges on the door." Hits another thing and the doors explode. And two corporate or one corporate guy falls in, pretty much dead. And uh, he tells him a uh, lesson too. Always uh, when you when you're coming into an area, always build your ambulance. So he, he so he's pretty much at that point. It's like I'm you're under my wing. I'm the spy master and you're my little spy apprentice. You're <laughs> under my wing and it's. Time yeah. to go. <laughs> Another good line that he uh, he tells Cassian when uh, Cassian was holding the gun on him, like right the last thing Lothan told him that uh, I think won him over was like he tells him, "Don't you want to fight these bastards for real?" <laughs> <laughs> and then Cassian, uh, after that, that's when they started. He he did the whole uh, calm deal, and then it cuts back to they're out on the streets. And corporate security is walking down the streets, but there's workers running all over. Like shop stores are being pulled down. The spaceport uh, guy pulls down his window and all. And there's these uh, young guys on the corners and stuff with pieces of metal that's hanging on strings and stuff. It's like an alarm system, I'm guessing, for the corporate guys. As they're coming by, they're running up to these things and banging it with wrenches, pipes, whatever they got making noise to where you can hear it throughout the whole city and the only thing that i can think of it's obviously an intimidation factor but what i also think it is is because as the cops are moving through the city they're running up and banging on the thing so it's almost like an alarm system for cassian to let him yeah. know because they can kind of hear it it kind of lets them know you know how close they're getting to them because the yeah. noise is just getting louder and louder as they're moving through the city but uh I did the whole Lothan story already. This is all where he's still convincing him and recruiting him. While that's yeah. happening, Dix is, she's running through the streets too, trying to get to him. But she takes a turn and there's the North team. Surreal, he's on the West team. The West team is making its way to the warehouse. So they're going now, they're, they're already fighting with corporate security at the warehouse. That's the East team. They've made it there. And as uh, Linus was walking these streets and they're banging on stuff, at one point, he he's telling them not to move in. Wait for them to get there. Mm -hmm. But because Lothan blew the door, he forces their hand before they're ready. And they have to engage. And East team's still trying to get there. North team is yelling over their radio. They're lost. <laughs> There's no street signs. We don't know where we're at. And and then uh, Bix comes running down the street, takes the wrong turn, runs into North team. They, they uh, the head guy, who's a dark, tall guy, he uh, sees her and realizes she's not running like the other one. When she saw them, she got scared and went eyes big and then turned and ran the other direction. And he's like, oh, what you running scared for? Pulls his gun and tells her to stop. And they grab her. And I don't know if he cuffed her or not, because I, you can't see her hands when he's binding her but he binds her to something in the corner 
by a wall. And, uh, well, he, yeah, he binds her there. Or he was holding her there. She tries to run. And the cop hits her head against the wall. And she's bleeding down her temple. And he binds her to the wall. And at another point, Tim, I'm going to just get ahead of it so I'm not flashing back. This is all in one part and not confusing. Tim comes running up. The boyfriend, he comes running up at first. And the cop tells him to stop. He skids to a stop. But then he sees that she's bleeding. And he goes, who did this? And he's angry and begins to move forward again. Well, the other cop behind the big guy gets nervous and he's got a rifle. And immediately when, when Tim starts running forward, he fires and shoots him in the chest. Oh, and shit. Tim falls dead. He is dead. dead. They are fucked now. Yeah. Not like he's he's gonna get back up. He's wounded. He shot him in the chest. He turns white and is just laying in the street. She's distraught, hanging from these binders and stuff. And the sergeant, I'm guessing, the head guy, he gets annoyed with the other dude and takes the rifle and tells him, take the comm, go back to the ship, take it up and keep watching the sky and keep the comms open. So that guy runs off and and uh, they try to communicate with uh, the West team so that they can find their bearings and get back to the factory because they're still lost. Boy, they are fucked now. This town already didn't want them there, and now they've captured one of their people, beat her up, and killed someone? Yeah. <laughs> if these poor people make it out alive, I will be shocked. Yeah. At this point, it pretty much seems like the city is in revolt mode. Like, everybody's getting mobilized and stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, Lothan, and we're finally caught up with them at the factory. Lothan and Cassian are now in pretty much a firefight with them. They are running around, and in this factory, there's big, massive metal pulleys that are, like, bolted to the ceiling and pillars and on the ground and all with, with cables and chains going everywhere. They are shooting some of them and setting them off, like, flying around. It's almost like a pirate-type deal. Pulleys and chains flying all over this factory, knocking things down and taking out walls and brick going everywhere. And uh, they're, they're taking down these corporate guys left and right trying to get to the NS9 and he almost gets to it before one of the pulleys nearly takes him out and Lothan and one of the chains clips and or at one point but then he find the Lothan guy finally is like we gotta get out of here forget about it I don't we don't need it and uh he leaves with him they get out of that building the East team, which is still engaged and just about wiped out. They're, uh, I think one of their last guy might, I think he runs out the building afterwards when both of them are standing outside and they're like, Endor's like, we should go back in. There's probably only one guy left when in actuality, it's probably what they only have left is one guy. But he's like, they, they're going to, they brought more than just that one team, Lothan's telling him. And then that guy pops out the door, shoots at him. They shoot back and then run off and, uh, Let's see. Now we are with North Team, still lost. They're trying to find their way back. At this point, Andor and Lothan, they've left the warehouse. Bix is still tied up. Both the corporate guys, Linus and Cyril, are now, they've caught up with the other team. They're not at the factory, but they are outside of it, set up in ambush outside of its area. Not right outside the factory, but they are outside setting up an ambush on either side of the street. And as they're doing this, the other team comes up too. The North team that's lost. They finally join up with them and set up ambush too. Why 
while they're setting up an ambush, Cassian sneaks up behind Goofy uh, Cyril, which also, just like a newbie, he's in the street, and he's going to set up his ambush point. Runs over to a door, just someone's door, goes to open it, can't get it to open, hits the pad, it finally opens. He goes to walk in and is like, hello? Something makes a noise. Two people run by. Well, two aliens, little things. They run by, and he just fires. Pow, 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 pow. Luckily doesn't hit him, but is so nervous that he fires off his gun. <laughs> then hides behind the door frame and kind of closes the door a little bit and gets set up. But then, not long after he gets set up, Cassian shows up and puts his gun to the back of his head and tells him where's your comm. Pulls out his comm, he breaks it, and then asks him how many corporate security guys are out there. And he don't want to tell him, but he's scared, and he's, he's just like shaking his head like, I can't tell you. Well then, just as smooth as can be, and lethal as can be, Lothan goes, just kill him. And, and then the guy like gets real nervous, and he, he like looks back, like he wants to look back, but stops himself to the dude doesn't shoot him <laughs> and then uh look them real just as smooth as can be again goes oh i'll kill him <laughs> and then the dude's finally like the, 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 12 uh, two officers 10 10 guards or whatever like stutter like he, he's getting it out <laughs> they tell him everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> then uh, Cassian finally, uh, once he gets all the information, he grabs my collar and pulls him off. And it cuts from that scene. See, we are at Marvis. Okay, this is where she is messing with the uh, corpus guys hard. Like, they're sitting in there. One of them is at the window, looking out the window, watching the people running by and banging on stuff. And the other one is watching Marva. And they're like, what is going on? What, what, are, they, what are they doing? And she's like, uh, she just is taunting them. Like, this is what a reckoning sounds like. <laughs> and uh, they just, they're just walking around and keep worrying over it. And I think one of them asks again, is like, what are, what are they doing this for assaulting? And she's like, that's not what you, uh, what you got to worry about. Like, what you got to worry about is when it stops. Oh. <laughs> and they both get quiet and both the corpus guys look at one another and then one of them asks her what happens when it stops and that's when she just like smug as can be she just like kind of lays back in her recliner and kind of snug like snugs her back into the cushions like I'm getting comfortable and don't say nothing she didn't say another word to him it's just like let y'all <laughs> stew in it what you think's gonna happen when that sound stops I ain't telling you. Let your imagination go wild. And it probably does, because it freaks them out. Then it goes to, this is a good part. I love this part with Brazo. All right, it cuts to Brazo. He's out in the yard still, near where he was working with that other shuttle. And he's walking. He's he, It doesn't start the scene where he's right by the shuttle. He's a good ways from the shuttle. But he's walking in the direction like he was at it, and he's walking away from it towards the camera, taking his gloves off. And then that's the end of the scene. That That's all you see of him. Then it goes to Marva, and Marva was still, uh, that's where she is still taunting them. Brazo thing was in the middle of her taunting them. And then it goes to North Team, which is a... Uh, the team that captured Bix and killed it, Tim. Yeah. It goes to them. Well, not exactly to them. It's it's to the other little guy who is running to the ship, I believe. Oh, the one point. that killed Tim? Uh, the one that he oh. sent back? Yeah, the one that gets sent back, he goes to the shuttle. He he makes it to the shuttle, but the only problem is, unlike, you know, 
a good pilot, which even Han Solo and him do before they jump in their ship and just take off. You do a quick runaround, or at least check the bottom of the hull and make sure you know, nothing's wrong with it. Then get in your ship and do all your checks and then take off real quick. There's even an emergency checklist. Like, you have to go through something to, to take off. He jumps in, immediately starts flipping switches, takes off. As he's taken off, a wire gets taut. <laughs> oh Jesus! And at the end of this cable is a massive piece of metal, a big piece of chunk of something that was down in the rubble that was, that Brazo has connected to the shuttle. <laughs> and this poor little shuttle cannot carry it. He gets up, and then all of a sudden things start going wrong. Everything starts bleeping, sirens are going off, and he's swinging this thing around like a wrecking ball, and it gets caught on a piece of wreckage on this massive star starship is all I can say. I was going to say Star Destroyer, but it's a big ship that has crashed there. They're taken apart. It gets caught on a piece of it, snags, and he goes whipping around to smack into the side of it and blows up. Jesus. And North Team sees it, and uh, I believe it's Linus that goes, was that him? And he's just like, who else would it be? And then he's like, well, how, how did that happen? Or something like that. And uh, the, the North Team guy is like, well, that would put them behind us. And that's when Linus Moss gets real worried, look on his face. And he's like, oh, we're surrounded. We're under siege. And so then, uh, and that's when they're sitting at the ambush. And they finally, we get to the point to where the escape is about to happen. Cassian and them have tied up Cyril, but the, the head guy on the North team winds up finding him in the building and unties him, and he goes running out and is, like, trying to tell them that they were there and they're escaping and is, like, pointing towards the other building. A vehicle comes bursting out of it and goes flying down the street. They all jump. A couple of them jumps into the road. The North team's head guy, he jumps in the middle of the road, and they're shooting, 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 and finally stop it. And it just stops and flips over the front of itself and lands on its top. Mm -hmm. And they all, the ones on the ground, walk over to check it out. Linus Mosk is up on a building. Cyril is still standing, kind of like, not shocked, but he's standing in the road. And he, he starts smiling like, it's over. We did it. And he looks up at Linus. Linus is up there. He's smiling, looks down at him like, we've done it. We caught him. And, and yeah, and at Do that it. moment, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Down the alley behind them, around the corner, comes a speeder bike, comes flying out, and it's them two on the bike. Both Linus and the other guy sees them, and they're like, oh no, how are they there? Lothan pulls out a controller thing on in his hand, pushes a button. The corpus guys that are walking to the vehicle that got, they thought, taken out, mm -hmm. all of a sudden explodes and knocks all of them on their butts, probably killing a couple of them because they were really close. The head sergeant of the North team might think he lived because one of them was getting up and I think he was the furthest from it. But then the spear bike goes flying off. Surreal Karn, being a guy who is probably in the office all the time, is just completely shell-shocked. He's just staring off, just like traumatized. Completely out of his element, just, you don't know what to do. Yeah, like, what just happened? Like, he ain't moving, he ain't running, he ain't doing nothing, he's just standing there. Linus Mosk, on the other hand, is up on the building, yelling down at them orders and stuff, and then uh, through another cutscene where they go somewhere else and then they come back to them, he's now down on the ground, yelling at him like, Sir, we've got to get out of here. Sir, sir! And he's not it. He's still just staring off. And finally, Linus just grabs his collar and tugs him. And that's the end of that scene. Like, he's pulling him away. He's, 
He's got to get him into action because he's just so shell-shocked. And let's see. Yeah, at this point, Cassian and Lothan are speeding off on the speeder bike, headed towards his ship to get out of here. And that triggers a flashback to where they go back to uh, Clem, Marva, and Cassa are in this ship. And this is where Clem is putting the object they had taken out of the uh, separate ship into that compartment. And he's waking up and sees all of this and is looking out of the, the ship window and this is like one of those nice little uh, moments where they kind of synced it up he as a kid is looking out the window out the front view windows and Marva is piloting and she kind of while he's looking she's fooling with dials and then at one point she looks back and just like smiles at him and he's looking out the window and at the same time they're going they go back to the present and at Fairfax Marva is in his bedroom and she's tearing up looking out his window holding his his blowgun and all in his room and also at the same time they're going over to another scene where Cassian is in Lothan real ship and they've already taken off and are going into the atmosphere and he's doing the same thing he did as a boy sitting behind Lothan real looking past him out the windscreen as he's leaving yet another of his home worlds behind and his family I thought it was a pretty cool little ending where they, they kind of like made it the same as what happened kinda when he was a boy. Began, he, sort of. he, he had to leave his home world behind and leave his family in order to, to survive. And now he's having to do the same thing. He's got to leave his family behind to go to a new family with the rebels. <laughs> Poor man is continuously uprooted. And that, that is the end of episode one. I mean, episode one. Three. <laughs> that is the end yes, of episode, episode one. Now let's move on to episode two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, let's go backwards. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that one was episode so good. I, I liked it. I really liked it. It was a really good spy thriller and a lot of suspense and drama. I, oh, it's really good. I can't wait till the next one comes out. So you you liked it. Do you think the pacing was good? Because it sounds like are these like hour long episodes? There, I think two of them were forty something minutes, and one was almost thirty. But they they have them as forty minutes. But I mean, when I was watching it, it gets about thirty minutes through, and then a lot of it it's credits. Like, there's a lot of credit parts on the end. So, I mean, they're probably all about 20, 30 minutes long. Okay. Because it sounds like there's so much that happens in these first three episodes. Like, is, yeah. it, is it super hectic? Like, is this something where it's like you really got to pay attention and you're going to miss a lot of stuff? The first two aren't quite as bad. They have a lot of scenes where they cut, a, like, to them. Like, they'll have a short dialogue, and then they'll cut somewhere else. They have a little bit of that in the first one. But, like I was saying, towards the end of that one, which is why it got a little bit crazy, and I just decided to tell you the whole thing, is because they cut so much. Like, they went to one scene where, alone the factory thing, like, I told you that all in one span, uh -huh. that was maybe six or seven maybe more different cut scenes throughout the the last part of that episode like they started really jumping from one scene to another scene to another scene to another scene you have to really pay attention like if you got up for even a minute and went to go get a drink you probably missed a good bit because you you would have missed at least two or three scenes before you got back 
Yeah. So, I mean, the the third one, you really would have had to pay attention. The other two were a little bit slower. They didn't quite throw as much at you, but the third one just seemed like they were really trying to wrap everything up, and they just had so many different things going on that they had to pull together in the end to that last scene with the speeder bike and all. But it really turned out good. I enjoyed it. That sounds fun. So do you think if you were like, let's say somebody went to watch this show and they're not like, they're new to the fandom, like they know about the movies, do you think they'd understand what's going on? Or is it a lot of like, you kind of have to know stuff? A new person coming in, I think they would still enjoy it just for the, the action and like, uh, the the story i mean just the, the basics of the story like the emotions and how the people are responding to one another and all i, I think new people would still enjoy that they just uh, wouldn't catch the easter eggs they just wouldn't catch yeah they just wouldn't catch maybe some of the easter eggs and the stuff like i've seen like with the insignia and stuff like that yeah because that seems like a big thing that i would have if you hadn't mentioned it, it and I watched it, I probably would have never gotten that, because it sounds like the insignias are kind of close. Yeah. So I would probably assume Empire. Yeah, which I mean, even then, I'm sure if you're new to it, I would hope uh, later on down the line in future episodes, they would probably reveal what, like, the insignia thing. Like, I'm sure later on they'll probably reveal that, hey, that was a separate ship. Just for newer viewers to where they could be like, oh, that's why that was there, and they might go back and watch it again. Because I know that's what I would do if I if I learned something like that later on. I'd be like, oh, man, that's oh, yeah. why. And then go back and see, oh, that's why they did that. So that, that leads into my next question is, where do you think this is going to go from here? Like, it sounds like they're they're just kind of leading in. Do you think this is going to end with, like, where Rogue One, like, started or... Oh yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely gonna follow that storyline to a road. Like Cassian is going to wind up dying in five years <laughs> down the line of this story. Like I don't know how long, how many. It's set for two seasons, but I mean, it, it's five years. They could they could find other little side things, but they probably they probably won't. They probably got a set story for him. Yeah, because I mean, they might have time jumps where... to that point. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's it won't be like uh. Like the Han Solo story, they put out Han Solo's story, and they can build up to that, but then they can build past that because he doesn't, he don't die at least until, you know, way later in Force Awakens and all of those. So, yeah, he, he has a lot more that they can build on to. Unfortunately, Cassian does not have that much time. Yeah, he doesn't. He's got a short time before he, he goes. So I know the Rogue One crew, like, they're, the Spy Master's not with, is he with them? With Rogue One, or he's no, just like the, the, the hand behind the scenes. Most of real survives. Okay. Yeah. Does he put that team together, or do they know each other beforehand? Because maybe it'll start introducing some of the characters from the movie. Because I know a lot of the characters from Rogue One are like iconic. They're a crew of characters. Yeah, yeah. He he puts that team together, but uh, he's pretty much the spy master that runs all of them, and he's got a whole bunch of other people that works for him. But yeah, Cassian, that team, I think, pretty much gets wiped out. His whole team. Like, there's a thing where I forget his name. I think K two. Or is it K9? The robot that's with him in Rogue One, 
There's rumors that he, I mean, he's got to show up at some point. They're going to have to do his backstory, which would be nice to see in one of the seasons, is how he winds up getting a hold of an Imperial uh, security droid, because those droids are pretty badass. But somehow it gets, either they, like, they get rid of his Imperial programming, and he becomes, like, a regular droid to where he can think for himself, kind of, and all. That would be interesting to find out how exactly his story gets tied in to Cassian. But just like Cassian, once it gets to Rogue One, he, the robot dies. Most of his, I think just about all his team die. Everyone on Scarif. I, th- I believe that was yeah. Scarif. All of those it, people. Yeah, I think everybody from Rogue. Rogue One dies. Like, that's yeah. spoilers, I guess. Yeah, the only, that's like a doomed that survive, mission. I was going to say, the only one that survives is uh is pretty much the Admiral that's in the space. That, that's it. The ones that come to get the message from the Rogue One team. That kind of surprises me, because knowing that, you'd think that if they wanted to do a story leading up to Rogue One, they would do it on the Spy Master and how he meets each of these characters and, like, the characters' backstories, but they're focusing on Andor, so I'm guessing he has a very interesting lead-up to Rogue One. Yeah, I think what it is is, like, even in, in Rogue One, what I'm thinking this whole series is going to be is it's going to be kind of like what Cassian went through to, uh, to help the Rebels and all. Like in Rogue One, he says to uh, the woman that uh, Rogue was pretty much the main lady. I don't know why I can't. Jean Ursa. He says to Jean Ursa that he's done terrible things, and she like she could not imagine what he has done for the rebellion that others will not do, but he has to live with it. And so I think what this series is going to be about is pretty much like the things that he has done to to help the rebellion. And kind of the it'll kind of like show the, the nastier, grittier side of the rebellion. Instead of like most of them kind of paint the rebellion as clean and they fight for the right and everything, this will kind of show what they had to do behind the scenes kind of like it's not always a clean war war is not clean this this will show the messier side of it just like in the first scene where cassian had to decide when he killed those two cops the the reason that one cop really broke down because i didn't notice until i looked up their names that was a father and son and he killed the son and the father was just babbling trying to he fell and and he knew he knew that cassian was going to wind up having to kill him too it was the only way he was going to get out of it and cassian knew it too and that that moment right there is like where he it's like his first deal where i killed an innocent but now, I, if I don't kill this other guy, the Empire is going to find out about the NS9, and they're going to come and get it. So I have to do that. I have to do this horrible thing yeah. in order to help take down the Empire. And I think yeah. that's what the rest of the series and all is going to be about, is just the terrible things he has to do to help the Rebellion. Yeah, he's finally crossed that line from the black and white, I'm good, they're bad, to, oh, I'm not that great yeah. anymore either. Like, I'm, I clearly am yeah, going to do shit I'm that I'm not going to be proud of. Yeah, like, I'm being forced to do bad to do good. But that's it's going to make for a, a, a good story. Yeah, and Maybe. I know that was like, that was a big drop, because they dropped three episodes at once, because I knew we wanted to cover this, and I kind of expected us to do like a one-by-one, like, this episode, talk about it, talk about the Easter eggs and stuff, but they did three, so... This is a bit longer. Yeah. The next update will do. When does Andor get updated? 
are they doing like a bi-weekly or? I'm not sure. I'm hoping it's going to be a weekly, but it, there's a good chance it's going to be a, maybe a bi-weekly because a lot of their their series now are like shorter. Like Obi-Wan, uh, which I would like to do too, is um they've only had six or seven episodes in their first series. Is that and I, another I don't believe, season? I think they are. They're going to be getting another season. It wasn't going to because Obi-Wan's story was supposed to be kind of short. Mm-hmm. But Probably. the fans, yeah, the fandom liked it so much and really want more. They want to see more of Obi-Wan. Yeah, we'll and, have uh, to do. So we'll have probably to do something that. Like that. I know I've heard, like, because uh, me and Clayton, husband, have gone into this about seasons because they're never the same amount. Like, some seasons are 12 episodes. You'll see seasons that are six. And it's like, the season is like their arc. Like, once they're done telling one story, they end the season. So it's always kind of hard because you never know how many episodes are going to be in a given season. Yeah, yeah. And some of them, oh, some of their stories get, like, I know Mandalorian kind of annoyed a lot of people and it, I mean not Mandalorian uh the book of Boba Fett kind of annoyed people it, it annoyed me a little bit with the fact that uh it was fairly short it didn't have very many episodes and the last I believe two or three episodes was heavy on the Mandalorian and uh Grogu there wasn't a whole lot of Boba Fett in it and when you name a series mm-hmm. <laughs> the book of Boba Fett really should show a lot of Boba Fett you watch your Boba <laughs> Especially towards the end. I mean, I think the last one, it was a whole lot of the Mandalore. And then Boba Fett, I think, showed up in it. But yeah, there was a whole lot of uh, people that were annoyed with that. And I was a little bit too, because I wanted to see a lot of Boba Fett. Oh yeah, well, and definitely. The story changed Boba a Fett lot, one, which I'd have to get into if I do Boba Fett. Yeah, his they completely changed his backstory. Because, I mean, she, that's what you were telling me. It's, we'll probably go into death, but, like, Boba Fett wasn't a huge character in the beginning. He's, like, this one-off dude that showed up in the movie, and then he blew up. People just latched on there. Yeah, him. people loved him after that. But even then, like, when they, after that, when they created his, a lot of his legend stories, he uh, he goes into the Sarlacc pit, and he, he survives. Dengar helps him, and he comes out of it. But I believe in, in the canon now, it doesn't work out that way exactly. I believe they changed it. I'm, I want to say how they changed it, but I'm not sure exactly now. But I remember when I had read it and then I seen this, I was like, oh, I, th- I think it's the Tusken Raiders. The Tusken Raiders somehow saved him or something. And he went and stayed with the Tusken Raiders and like was going to become one of them till a gang came and wiped out the Tusken Raiders. And then he just kind of fell back into his ways. But he still took a part of, you know, what he learned from the Tuscan Raiders into his his life after that, which I think is why he decided instead of being a loner, which is what he was all before that and what he was in Legends, he yeah. only worked alone. He never had a team, ever. Well, well, I mean, he did a couple of times, but that was only by like circumstance. And he usually winded up skipping out on them. Like, he, he was put in a team with them, but he was not part of it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And, uh, but in the newer one, as you can see from the Book of Boba Fett, when you watch it, he's he's making a team. He's, he's becoming the head of a crime family and is just selecting people to work for him and people 
he can kind of trust, like the uh, sniper chick from Mandalorian, who we all thought was dead, but turns out Boba Fett showed up while she was gut shot and dying in the desert and rescued her. And so now she's like his bodyguard. But yeah, but before we, get, yeah, before we get too deep into that, I was going to ask you, like, before we end up, so I don't know if Andor had a lot of books in Legends. Did they change him for the canon? Like, is he a lot different Andor or are they keeping kind of true? That's a good one. Endor for Legends is non-existent. So he just isn't he, a character. He is completely new. This whole story, the planets are new. Like, Kanari is, was not in Legends. There was no planet Kanari. There was no planet Meloron. There was no planet uh, Meloron, uh, Malorni. Malorn, it was? It was two different M1s. <laughs> but those were all made up specifically for his backstory and all. And the only one that was already there was, which I think I forgot to say in there, was Fest. Fest was like a cookie for people who uh, really follow the stories and all. It, if you watch Rogue One, and it's in the, some of the books too, he, Fest is where they broke Jean Ursa out of prison, where she was on that, uh, that big, like, juggernaut tank deal, mm -hmm. going to a mine or whatever, to a little work camp. That's where they rescued her from was Fest. That is where all his documents said he was where he was born, but he wasn't. That was a real place. But yeah, he he's not in Legends. He's a completely, completely new Disney character. Along with like uh, Poe Dameron. Poe Dameron is not Legends. There, there's a bunch of the new characters are not like Legends, though. It, it's a lot of newer stuff. Like the Mandalore, he's not in Legends. I think that's honestly a smart thing for Disney to do because a lot of times when they take stuff and they try to adapt it and they change it, they're going to piss off fans. Yeah. So I think what they're doing with Andor is kind of smart because, like, new people will be interested and old people will be interested because it's not a story they've heard, but it does tie back so you get those fun Easter eggs that you're recognizing. Yeah, and it doesn't, as they're learning, kind of, from, like, Boba Fett, they mm -hmm. won't get that backlash from, like, what yeah. happened with Boba Fett. Because, I mean, even, like, when the story changed, I know y'all remember when I heard when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, that's, that's bullshit. Why'd they change the story? Mm -hmm. They should have left it like it was. Because, I mean, it was so rich and there was so much to it. And now that they've changed it, they're going to have to write all of that. You know, A it's lot funny. of stuff will have to change. But... I mean, and it, I don't it's know. Cool that they did newer characters, like you were saying, yeah. because then then it doesn't hurt the old fans. They're they're not attached to them like they are the other characters, and they can leave the old characters and doing these little tweaks that they do to kind of change the story. It, it might annoy them a little bit, now. but it won't turn the old fans away. Like yeah. if you decided to completely change their story. Oh yeah, because I remember when the the new Star Wars movies, like the last three, when they came out, fans were pissed when they were like. Like, oh, you know all that other stuff? It's oh. not canon. Because it's like you're throwing it away. You're throwing away this rich history that all of these people have contributed to and worked so hard. Because it's so, those books are so yeah. tough. It's so hard to work within the Legends lore, but they did it. And for them to just disregard it was like a slap in the face. So it's yeah. nice to see that they're learning and they're like, we're going to incorporate this stuff. And I was going to say, I wonder if they did the Boba Fett series because of the Mandalorian. Because a lot of people like me were like, oh, Mandalorian, is this going to be Boba Fett? But it wasn't. It was a completely different character. 
Yeah. But so many people like me were like, oh, I'm tuning into this. I want to see this because I want to see Boba Fett. And then they heard it wasn't Boba Fett. And they're like, oh, well, now I'm not yeah. interested. And then they're like, oh, I don't want to watch that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then, I mean, shoot, he, I think his character came out be almost just as good. I mean, shoot, oh, yeah. I, like I mean, it. shoot, Gringu, Baby Yoda. <laughs> I My yeah. son has a Baby Yoda doll. That's how popular he is. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he beat I, out I, Paw I, Patrol I, and Baby Shark to be in my household. <laughs> I like it so much. My first tattoo was of his insignia. I have the mud horn on my left shoulder just for that. I like the Mandalorian. The other one, the other tattoo you have is a Mandalorian show. one too, isn't it? Yeah, that a different the other one? one I got on the back of my shoulder is the uh, Mythosaur skull. That is pretty much like the uh, Mandalorian, like the leader, the symbol kind of deal. Those are so cool. But I guess I'll, we will ramble forever if I don't cut us off. So we'll stop here. Uh, if anyone is wondering, because I know I mentioned Lost Stars, uh, poor Odin has lost the book. He doesn't know. Like, yeah. I think he thought you had an electric copy or you'd listen to it, but you can't find it. And you wanted to yeah, review so it before re-reading. we did the episode. Yeah, so, I, so now I am forced to, I am rereading it. And it is pretty long. <laughs> so is it's it? going to take a little bit of time. So I have to ask, is a Lost Stars one book, or is it a little series? Oh no, it's one book, but it's like 600 pages. Oh yeah, it's a, big, it's yeah. a Harry Potter book. <laughs> yeah, it's a big old Harry Potter book. It's big enough you can knock somebody out with it. <laughs> Dude, if my paperbacks get bent, I just put them between two of my Harry Potter books and it flattens them back out. Because <laughs> they're so heavy. But yeah, Lost Stars is coming, but it might be a little ways away because we're going to have to reread. So you might see some TV apps before that if we decide to do Mandalorian or something. But heck, y'all, follow, like, we're on Spotify. We're also on iHeartRadio and Podcaster, and we got approved for Google Podcasts, which is cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, so we're on a couple different places. So y'all like and follow. If you want to check out more of us, like, having fun and goofing off, uh, check out Dark Odin Gaming one word on oh, well dark odin is one word gaming is a separate one on youtube where we play games and get scared <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right and we may even add some star wars games yeah we gotta do some lego star wars <laughs> yeah. i saw you i saw you playing it <laughs> oh yeah i'm getting into it <laughs> uh but all right y'all will check y'all out later uh bye i guess <laughs> so better to end yeah. these <laughs> <Bye-bye. laughs>